Hey everyone, and welcome back to your source for everything and anything public education in Canada. My name is Mark Garcia. I'm the Advocacy and Government Relations Coordinator here for the Canadian Teachers Federation. Today I'm just going to be talking a little bit about what happened in Parliament this fall. We're recording this on December 13th, so we're just going to go over a few of the big ticket items that happened in the fall and what that means for politics here in Canada. Some of the big issues that I want to touch on that were of a big focus in the parliament were inflation. Things are expensive, as we all know. Prices have been climbing, but they've steadily tapered off, and I don't think inflation is quite as bad as it was a month ago or a few weeks ago. If you take a look at gas prices, they're not nearly as high as they were a month ago. That's good for us. The Conservative Party of Canada probably isn't so happy about that because they were using that as a wedge issue for a very long time. Another wedge issue that they're going to be focusing on, and we can probably expect to hear a lot more about it over the next year and definitely following the new year, is the carbon tax. So the debate on whether the carbon tax is useful or what it means for families and climate change was a huge focus of Pierre Polyev's leadership campaign and his current role in opposition. It's going to be increasing on January 1st, and it's still set to increase, I think, for four or five more years. It's definitely going to be a ballot box issue whenever that next election comes. Notwithstanding the bully tactics of the Ontario government, unions won the day. During the QP labor dispute, while it wasn't talked about a whole lot in Parliament, it's definitely worth a mention here from us, and we're very proud of our QP allies. As an aside, in the House, I want to point out that only Liberal and NDP MPs really spoke about the issue. So the Conservatives trying to position themselves as representatives of the working class, I think that was a missed opportunity to put their money where their mouth is. But what this does, in effect, is it telegraphs issues related to the constitutional relationship and the constitutional challenges between the federal government and the provinces. Enter Alberta. On December 8th, the province's new premier, Daniel Smith, introduced and passed the Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act. And no, I'm not kidding. That's the oxymoronic name that their government decided to give this piece of legislation. And doing my research for this podcast, I just did a brief check-in on how that passed. And they actually have a section dedicated to saying what the bill doesn't do because they're so scared at people's misinterpretation of what the bill does. But the reality is, is that the bill is quite clearly a signal to the federal government, but out of our affairs. The bill empowers Smith's government to order provincial authorities to refuse to enforce any federal law that they disagree with. The phrasing that the website highlighting the bill says, anything that may harm Albertans. So their interpretation of what harms Albertans and what the federal government wants to do, I'm curious to see how that plays out, but that'll be interesting. That's just another example of a province telling the federal government to, to butt out, really. And I think unity of the country is going to be a big issue leading up to the next election as well. So we've got the carbon tax, we've got national unity. I also want to highlight the newfound attention that healthcare is getting. So healthcare, along with the other issues that we've talked about today, I think are going to be really big ballot box issues. But healthcare, because with the flu and with COVID and ultimately with the hiring crisis and the shortage of nurses and doctors, we're seeing more and more people pay attention to the fact that the Canadian healthcare system isn't delivering on what we've expected for a long time. We're really passionate about healthcare in this country. Of course, it's a provincial issue, but I think people are going to start saying something needs to change. So whether that's more money through federal health transfers to provinces or there being more federal involvement in healthcare, like we would like to see in education, but that's a complete different aside. We're going to see more and more people question 
whether the healthcare system is working. And Pierre Polyev and the conservatives are probably going to see this as an opportunity to say, hey, maybe we should look at a system where we have more privatized healthcare. So I really hope, and I think that's all of these issues I've talked about can be ballot box issues, but I really think the federal government and the Trudeau liberals can say, we hear you, we understand that this is a concern for you, and we're going to take things seriously. Just in my experience this weekend, because I don't have a family doctor here in Ottawa, I had to go to the emergency room. And when I checked online, so I live in downtown Ottawa, and I checked Eastern Ottawa's hospital, Montfort Hospital, and there was a 12 hour and 45 minute wait if I wanted to go there. The other hospitals don't have a prediction like that. So I chanced it and I went to the Ottawa Queensway Hospital. I got very lucky. I only had to wait 90 minutes. But imagine if you're a person seeking medical care and you're told that you have to wait 13 hours to see an ER doctor. That's unbelievable. So I think that we're really going to see a lot more attention being paid to that. And I really hope that something gets addressed. We hear tons and tons of stories of nurses leaving because the working conditions here are terrible, they're not being paid adequately, and you can go to the States and you can get a way better job with way less stress. My thoughts are with all of our nursing colleagues and those working in healthcare, you do a wonderful job, and I really hope that the outlook improves for not only Canadians seeking healthcare, but folks working in the healthcare industry. So I think that's going to be a big issue. And pretty fittingly, a Nanos poll was released on December 6th, and it found that the top issue of national concern for Canadians was healthcare. So we're going to hear more and more about that as well. The other issues that that Nano poll highlighted were inflation, the economy, and the environment. So pretty much all of the issues we have talked about today so far. And if you are curious about healthcare in Canada and wanting to know more. One book that really has opened my eyes into what some things are we can do to improve Canadian healthcare. And there are a myriad of issues and I'm definitely not an expert, nothing near it. But one person who is an expert is Dr. Danielle Martin and not to be confused with Daniel Martin, former beloved CTF director. But Dr. Danielle Martin wrote a book called Better Now and she talks about six big ideas to improve healthcare for all Canadians. And she's actually a bit of a star, if I can say that. She was the doctor who Bernie Sanders invited to speak at the Senate. And she put all these Republican senators in their place when they asked, isn't Canadian healthcare broken? It's a fantastic book and it really opens your eyes to ways we can improve the healthcare system. As for updates, some key pieces of legislation that the CTF wants to flag for you are Bills C-302. So, Bill C-302 is a private member's bill, the Act to Amend the Canadian Labour Code, replacement workers in brackets, and this seeks to prevent employers from using replacement workers, aka anti-scab legislation. This is a welcome piece of legislation from the labour movement that we've wanted to see for a very long time. The bill is a private member's bill, and I think it's still outside the order of precedent, aka it's not going to move anywhere. But we want to thank NDP MP Alex Boularis from Rosemont La Prairie in Montreal for introducing that piece of legislation. It's really important to say to employers, this is unfair. Bargain in good faith. Two other pieces of legislation that I've flagged are S-251 and C-273. So both of these pieces of legislation seek to remove Section 43 of the Criminal Code. Some of you who have followed this closely, it's a big CTF issue, you'll know that Section 43 protects teachers in the event that they need to put their hands on a student to prevent harm from one another or destruction of property or harming themselves, right? If a student is going to run into traffic, teachers want to be able to know that they can 
grab that student and stop them from harming themselves or another student having legal repercussions. So the CTF FSA opposes the removal of the section without appropriate language introduced elsewhere. And we've spoken to both spo sponsors of both of those bills, and they're open to working with the CTF on this. So that's great. We have a second meeting scheduled with Senator Stanley Kucher. He's the sponsor of Bill S-251, and we'll be meeting with him in early February. And we also had a meeting with Peter Julian on November 28th, and he's the sponsor of C-273. We're seeking a follow-up meeting with Mr. Julian in his office, but we're engaging on this, and this is a priority issue for the CTF FCO. Big news from this week. So we're recording this on December 13th. Yesterday, December 12th, Charles Souza, the former Ontario Liberal Cabinet Minister, won the Mississauga Lakeshore by-election. This was the first election since Pierre Polyev became leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. The result is not really a surprise. The seat has been Liberal for over 10 years, and they had a star candidate, a former cabinet minister at the provincial level. But it does show that maybe Pierre Polyev isn't going to have that big crack into the 905 wall that many people were expecting. The Liberals almost sweep Toronto and the GTA, and if the Conservatives ever have a hope of forming a majority, they're going to have to tap into that seat-rich area. Lastly, I'm going to do a quick winners and losers of the fall session. So for me, and I'm not an avid fan of Justin Trudeau, I'll be honest about that, but I like to call him how I see him. And I think Justin Trudeau was probably the winner of this fall session. A lot of people thought he was going to get knocked around by the conservatives and be hit over the head with whether it's inflation or the carbon tax or all these issues that we've talked about. But based on polling and based on the results of Mississauga Lakeshore, where they actually increased their vote percentage from last time, he has survived the Pierre Polyev honeymoon period. And yeah, we might be a year plus out from an election, but he has come out pretty good, I think. There was a brief time where the Pierre Polyev propaganda machine was rolling away, and we thought he was going to run away with it, and conservatives were projected to win an election if it was held that day. But right now, Canada 338, and that's a great aggregate service that we'll put in the notes, give the Liberals a 63% chance of winning the most seats right now. So I have a big caveat of polls are just polls, but polls also matter, right? If you, and people will say, if you look at the U.S. election or you look at recent election results, 338 Canada has pretty much gotten it right in the last nine elections that they've covered. If you want to talk about the merits of polling, send me an email, but they mean something, right? So the Liberals are looking good, and also the Prime Minister came out looking as Prime Ministerial as we've seen him during the convoy inquiry. And the convoy inquiry isn't done yet. And I think when he was speaking about the convoy and he was speaking about their leadership, he said it wasn't that they just wanted to be heard, they wanted to be obeyed. And having lived in Ottawa and living not very far away from where the convoy set up, I think that sums it up perfectly. These folks were not really looking forward to meaningful policy debate. They wanted to take down the government. That's also ignoring the fact that the majority of the mandates were provincial. So civics teachers, I feel your pain. But I saw political pundits who are no fans of Justin Trudeau, but he came out smelling like a rose and people said that was the moment where he won the next federal election. So I'm not going to speak in absolutes like that, but we'll see what that looks like for him and we'll wait on the next federal election. But conservatives were expecting a big win there and Trudeau to slip up and he didn't. So that's why he's my winner of this fall session. My loser, I'm going to have to say it's the Green Party of Canada. And it's no knock on what they stand for as a party, but the way they've governed themselves and the way they've managed themselves. When you're trying to breathe life into a party on life support, the last thing you want to do is go back to the beginning 
of the thing that made it sick in the first place. And that's ultimately what they've done, right? Is yes, Elizabeth May brought them to their best electoral result ever, getting a million votes in the 2011 election and getting them to three seats in parliament. But the unity wasn't there and she left and they had a fantastic leadership race and it didn't work out. But they had an opportunity to elect someone new and continue breathing new life into the party. But the enthusiasm in the Green Party is not there anymore, um, it looks like. 8,000 people voted in this leadership election, a 36% voter turnout of eligible electors, and their last leadership election in 2020 had a 69% voter turnout with 24,000 people voting. So I think that just puts into perspective what the excitement level is there. We'll have to see what happens with the Green Party, but for all of these reasons and them not really taking the opportunity to do something exciting and do something new, that's why they're my loser for this fall session. Lastly, I'm going to plug a great morning email service that I use and it makes my job much easier as a government relations worker. Politico's Ottawa Playbook is a fun and daily email service that recaps current events going on in Canada and in Parliament Hill. It lets you know where ministers are speaking that day, which is really useful to if you want to know where everyone is or what they're focused on. It also has fun little tidbits like which politician or former politician's birthday it is that day or for you political nerds, there's quizzes like who was the federal minister of health when healthcare was brought in, right? Or something like that. Very neat, niche, nerdy political questions like that. But even if that's not your jam, you should still subscribe anyways, because it still provides a really easy and accessible way to learn about federal politics. That's it for me today. If you'd like to learn more about some of the things that I talked about or you hate some of the things that I brought up today, I'd love to talk to you about it. If you want to learn more about Canada 338 and polling, if you want to learn more about the Nanos polling that we talked about, or check out the other resources or look up that book by Dr. Danielle Martin, all of those things are going to be in the notes. Thank you for listening and tuning in to your source.